understanding the doctrine of Christ and strengthening our testimony is a labor that will bring real joy and satisfaction. We need to consistently study the words of Christ as found in the scriptures and the words of living prophets. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Studying is then another essential key to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. This is the process that the Lord has established. To feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. We savor the scriptures by studying them in a spirit of delightful discovery and faithful obedience. When we feast upon the words of Christ, they are embedded in the fleshy tables of the heart. So we've got Genesis chapters 42 through 50, and it's basically the the rest of the story of Joseph and Jacob and the brothers. After, after they go have famine, after Joseph is basically put into a position of power, he's the governor over Egypt. He's the essentially what would be like second in command to the Pharaoh, the vizier. And, it, and it's interesting because he, we kind of talked about last time how he's always taken advantage of opportunities given to him, and he's always had made sure that the Lord was with him and didn't lose faith and didn't kind of get too disappointed by things happening around him. Um, so Jacob sends his sons to go, to, to go buy grain in Egypt. And it, what's interesting is in verse 6 of chapter 42, it says, And Joseph was the governor over the land. And it was, and and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. They didn't know it was him, so um, they just knew that they had to go and and ask for grain and buy some from him. But remember back when he was young and he was still with them, uh, he had these dreams that were prophecies about what would happen. And he kind of brought it up to them, saying, you know, I had this dream that I was a uh, uh, stock of wheat and that these other stocks of wheat bowed to me you know it's like this is not only a a fulfillment of that prophecy but also you you see that even the symbolism there was about the famine and who who do they go to for sustenance they go to joseph i just thought that was interesting how you know these prophecies even though it seemed like everything went sideways when they sold them into egypt into slavery the Lord will make it happen. Whatever the prophecy is, it will find a way um, to come true as long as Joseph did his part. I thought it was interesting that Joseph, he kind of does a couple tests to to test maybe their, how truthful they're going to be, how honest they are. Maybe even if they learned their lesson, I don't know. Um, but um, even when Joseph... Joseph, at first, he spoke through an interpreter, so he could hear them talking to themselves, and I think they assumed that that he he didn't know Hebrew or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so he asked them, hey, he says, uh, are you guys spies? And they say, no, we're not spies. And he says, okay, if you're in verse 19, he says, if ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of prison. Go ye carry corn uh, for the famine of your house. 
but bring your younger brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they did so. So one of the things that's he's kind of testing them, and, and then they, they're speaking amongst themselves, and, and, and Reuben answers him and, and says, do not sin against this child. And, and in verse 23, he says, and they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And 24, and he said, and he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. And so they, so he's kind of saying, Okay, well, you can have the food and the grain to go save your family, but you're going to have to leave one of you here with me. Right. And then, do you have a younger brother? Oh, yeah, we do. And they're probably talking about Benjamin. Oh, bring him back, and then I know that you're true. man. And then Simeon will let him go, you know, and all these things. I And then, and then when, they, when they're on the journey back home, they open the sacks of corn, which at this time, we've talked a little bit about this. It wasn't corn. It was probably like wheat slash oats or something. Yeah. They call it corn, right? Maybe it was, but but most likely it wasn't. But they open the sacks of food, and they see that their money purses are in there, and their money has been returned. And so they, they have even another opportunity, to be honest, and they get back to Israel or their father, and he says, well, you know, I don't want you to take my son but I guess, and then Reuben makes a promise again. So it's almost like Reuben, he wasn't on board with selling Joseph. He wasn't on board with killing him, but he kind of went along. He, he wasn't, he didn't really stop it. And he was kind of hoping like that the brothers, their their idea would subside and then they could, he could go to the pit and be like, just kidding, Joseph, you know. But now you see kind of a different Reuben. You see a Reuben that has lived probably with years of of, of resentment or of sorrow for what has happened. And now he's kind of placed in the same position with Benjamin. And But Reuben is like, no, he'll have to kill me. Like, there's no way I'm not bringing back Benjamin. You know? Yeah, he even says in verse 36, it says, And Jacob, their father, said unto them, me have ye betrayed of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not unto thee, not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring bring him to thee again. So basically he's like, look, if I don't restore all all this stuff to you, you can kill my two sons. Like Reuben, <laughs> he's really stepping up and saying like, I will make sure that this doesn't happen again. Because I think they saw the sorrow that their father went through by losing Joseph. You can tell through all these tests and through all of these experiences they're going through that they were remorseful for what they'd done. Maybe in that in the moment that they sold Joseph, they weren't immediately remorseful. But it seems like over the years that this happened, you know, a decade or whatever, that this took place, that they saw not only the sorrow of their father, but they also felt guilty and felt remorseful for what they'd done because they're like we don't know where joseph is now we don't know what became of him they assume that he's dead being sold into slavery at that time was not like oh he's going to be taken care of <laughs> it was like you were just a work hand until you died and they probably assumed that's how he would be treated so i think it's interesting that that yeah reuben is like i will make sure i will make sure that that, that we're we're all back um he's coming across a lot more like a leader 
you know? Like, you know, it's not dependent on the other brothers. He's just saying, where before he was kind of trying to convince the other brothers, give him like doing the right thing, but kind of lukewarm. And now he's kind of, I don't know, he seems a lot more bold. You also see it in, in chapter 43, verses 8 and 9. This is Judah. It says, And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. This is the guy that suggested they sell Joseph. <laughs> This is the guy who was like, hey, we should sell this kid. Get him out of our lives. And now he's saying, if anything bad happens, I will bear the blame forever. Even Judah. I think that's interesting, too. You can tell that they're all like, dad, we get it. <laughs> We're sorry for what happened. We'll make sure this never happens again, no matter what. And if it does, we'll take the burden upon ourselves. You know, it, there's some true remorse there, I think. I like on um, verse on chapter 43, verse 11 and 12, where now now they've agreed, OK, you can take Benjamin. Everybody has promised we're, we're not going to let anything happen to him. But then the father even says and the father Israel said unto them, if he must, if it must be so now do this, take the best fruit of the land in your vessel and carry down the man a present of this little balm and a little honey and spices and myrrh and nuts and almond and almonds. And, um, and take double the money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand and preventure that it was an oversight and take also your brother and arise and go. And so it's interesting because they are in a famine, but even in a famine, they're saying, take whatever we can and try to win the goodwill of this guy and take double the money. And, and even though it, it's funny because Sometimes there's accidents that occur. In in in, the, in their mind, they're thinking the money is here on accident. It's they don't know that Joseph did it on purpose as a test to their integrity. But and let them know it was an accident, and we even brought extra money to show that we had no intent to rob you. We had we wanted a good transaction. It wasn't, and it's funny because I wonder how many times we are generous to that extent when something is an accident you know when when hey i accidentally broke your window i've inconvenienced you let me break your window let me fix it but also bring you a pie and also watch your dog because you know this took time and, and you know like there's a i don't know it, it's a certain amount of graciousness it almost seems like in, in abundance uh what's the term gracious and abundant and you're you're generous generous yeah you're, you're generous in your in your seeking forgiveness and righting a wrong you know not just giving back exactly what was taken but even offering more yeah the, which is very counter like today or sometimes it's like oh someone messed up uh, they gave me, I don't know, just something simple. They Amazon delivered two packages of the same thing. Oh, okay, well, I guess I have a free one now. You know? yeah. Like, it's a very different mentality where it's like, no, um, we're going to give you back. You know, we did not mean to to fall out of 
the truth of the transaction, whatever we're doing. Then the next, the next time that they're sent away, because they come, they eat with him. He sees Benjamin. He sees how the brothers are treating Benjamin, and I think that that also solidifies it for him that they're changed. You know, that they not only did they protect him by leaving him at home, but when they did, when they brought him, you could tell that they were very protective of him and held him in high regard. And so he sends them back home in verse in chapter 44. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put every man's money in his sack's mouth and put my cup, the silver cup in the sack's mouth of the youngest in his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph has spoken. And it's interesting because um, in the Nelson study Bible, it says Joseph continued to test the character character of his brothers by commanding his servant to place his brother's money in their sacks and a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. After Joseph's servant searched all the brother's sacks, the servant found the cup with Benjamin. In genuine despair for Benjamin's predicament, the brothers tore their clothes. They could not let Benjamin die. Ironically, a few years earlier, the same brothers that had been debating whether to kill Joseph, instead of tearing their own clothes in grief, they had torn Joseph's robe in order to cover up what they had done. So, once again, it's another way they're showing that they're looking at this completely differently, that they're not, you know, going to say, you know what, Benjamin, to heck with you. You know, <laughs> you're going to get us in a lot of trouble, so we're going to throw this on you. They're saying, no, we can't let this happen, you know. Um, and we know that in the in the Jewish tradition, especially in the Old Testament, the tearing of clothes, the renting of clothes was a was an outward manifestation of inner anguish and and. Uh, it was like a, a way to demonstrate I can't I can't even contain my anguish or my frustration or my anger or my sadness or whatever it may be. Um, so the, the fact that they reacted in that way about Benjamin kind of, you know, being in this tricky spot. I, I, I wonder if they thought he'd been framed or if they thought, Benjamin, what have you done? You know, like <laughs> either way, though, it wasn't like, did you do this? Oh, gosh, Benjamin, what are you doing, man? You know, it, it was more like, oh, no, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for the whole? And the promise they just made their father, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, <laughs> and it's funny because Judah, he throws himself in as, put it on me. Put the blame on me. That way, Benjamin doesn't get in trouble. That way, and it's funny because there is, a, like, a link between Judah and Christ. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's interesting that just take these group of brothers whom in their in their bad attitudes and beliefs <laughs> and jealousies of Joseph they decided to do something bad to him in that bad thing happening to Joseph has now come full circle that because of that event because Joseph went in the pit descended below them very like the savior right now they have had a life where their hearts have changed, at least two of them that we know of, right? How similar to that in the Savior it is for us. How many times do we don't know what the Savior's sacrifice really will affect us, you know? And it takes time. And sometimes we are we're going about our business and we're listening to the natural man. And it isn't until... We've done something wrong where where we've tra transgressed the laws of God, or we've in this in this example we've hurt our brother, we've hurt our Savior. We and it's when we realize that that we 
we begin to change our hearts. And so it's it's one of those things that I don't know. I, I think this this story of Joseph can be so deep and profound, but also so applicable to us because in our everyday life, how are we like Joseph or how are we like Simeon or how are we like Judah or how are we like Reuben or even Israel? We're, we're There's a part of us in all of these stories. It's not just like where do we find ourselves and, and how, how does the Savior through what we have done to him, we know that our imperfection causes him pain and grief. And he's had to do the atonement. And it is eternal. But because of that, he knows how to teach us, how to succor us. And likewise, because we see his love and his sacrifice, we're more willing to change than through any other experience. You know, it's it's really interesting. Like, it cannot be avoided. Pain and sorrow cannot be avoided. But through the Lord... Even sometimes the byproduct is just our heart changes. That's a huge win. I think the other part of that, kind of along with that, is even so they were kind of afraid every time that they, you know, found their money still in the bag and stuff, they were afraid of some sort of punishment coming upon them from Joseph. And even after he revealed himself to them and said, Hey, I'm your brother in Hebrew, right? And they realized that it was him and they realized that it really was him, that it wasn't someone trying to trick them, that it was actually him. They were still afraid of him. And I was trying to understand, like, why wouldn't they be like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. This is perfect. Now we got an an insider. You know, (laughs) we got a guy on the inside. Instead, they were like, oh, no. Oh, no. It was like almost worse for them because it was like not only did we do all of this, but he survived and now he's got a position of power over us and now he sees how we were treating our other brother differently than we treated him and i think about the times when we feel we've committed sin and we need to repent and we're afraid of what the consequences might be and we're afraid of how the lord might see us and kind of be like oh now you want to repent you've lived this life this way you know, doing whatever you want, and now you want to come and ask for forgiveness. But it's not like that. And Joseph wasn't like that either. He didn't have any intention of being like, ha, gotcha. Now I'm going to throw you all in jail and make you my slaves. You know, it wasn't like that. He was like, yeah, I know what happened. Yes, I suffered a lot. But I'm in this position now to give you mercy and to give you forgiveness. And I think about the Savior and how he can look at us and say, I know what, what you've been through and I know what you're going through and I know how difficult this is. And instead of saying, now, now it's my chance to take revenge on you for not obeying the commandments, he gives us mercy. And yeah, there are consequences for everything we do, but there's also tremendous mercy when we're willing to truly go with a contrite heart, you know, and say, I want to change. I'm different now. The Lord will accept that. And won't just be like, ha, gotcha now. <laughs> there's nothing, there's no sentiment like that at all. So on in chapter 45, in verse 4, well, at the beginning, you know, Joseph lets him know who he is. And, and in verse 2, and he says, he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. 
And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled. And then Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near unto me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you have sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. I really like this because at first I thought, why is Joseph doing all of these tricks or tests? But I think what I come to realize is maybe Joseph was trying to see. I think he forgave them because he's he's actually telling them right here. If it wasn't for the fact that you sold me to Egypt, and I don't think this was an epiphany he had all of a sudden right then. He said he, he's been able to preserve. God sent me before you to preserve life. And it's a sign of mercy that God didn't do all of this just to preserve, you know, what, 15 people, maybe 20, 30, 100. I don't know. He also did it to preserve the Egyptians, to preserve this entire region. There were a lot of people blessed by the preparation and the interpretation of the dream of Pharaoh and the, everything that happened, right? But I, I feel like Joseph did these things to see if he could trust his brothers again, if they could be brothers again, you know? And that's where I get from the, the message of come near to me, I pray you. Overall, the, the main theme here is forgiveness. Joseph's forgiveness is so sincere and true, especially from a point of He's got greater authority. He could avenge himself. He could do all sorts of terrible things to his brother and even say, hey, but I won't do it to my father. Like he could he could take this in a lot of different directions. But he it's a true forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And then and I think I don't know, I, I think it's important for us to realize that there's a difference between trust and forgiveness, you know. And I think some of these things he was able to see that he could trust his brothers, not just forgive them. And sometimes we talk about forgiveness and what we're not trying to tell people is someone has wronged you and you need to forgive them, even though they continue to wrong you or abuse you or hurt you. That's not the case. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is kind of letting go. And in Joseph's case, he continued to triumph with the Lord. It wasn't easy. Sometimes there were setbacks. Uh, sometimes it was, I did the right thing and now I'm in jail. You know, I went from Potiphar's uh, manner to being in jail and, and I helped somebody and he forgot me. And so I was in jail even longer. And now, you know, and all of these things happen. And, but, but it's important, you know, there's different circumstances and there is a time to forgive and give trust back. There's also a time to forgive and not give trust back. And and that's where I see maybe why these tests that Joseph did with the monies and who are you going to leave behind? What is the anxiety you're having if if Simeon stays behind or Judah steps up and wants to take the place of Benjamin and you know all these things and it's I don't know. I found that really interesting. I often also wonder so he was in prison with the baker and the butler and Certainly when he got out of prison, those guys were around. And he could have, as he grew in power, taken vengeance on them for having forgotten him, you know. But we don't hear anything about that. But he also could have taken vengeance on Potiphar's wife. And we don't hear anything about that either. 
<laughs> you know, we and it, I think what it means to me, and you know, maybe he did, and we just don't hear about it. But I think knowing what I know of the Old Testament, <laughs> they probably would have been like, and he, you know, went and did <laughs> kill the the butler, and did, you know, they would have definitely highlighted that. Um, and I think what it means is like. I'm not going to let my successes uh, get in the way of my humility and understanding that the only reason I'm here is because the Lord is with me. And if I start doing things to be vengeful, the Lord won't be with me. Um, there's a quote by Elder Neil A. Maxwell. He says, there is no expiation in retaliation. Vengeance not only prolongs conflict, but it also deepens and widens it. Thus, forgetfulness and forgiveness, by being intertwined, make strong the cords of brotherhood. And I think that that, in in a world, especially back then, where the law of Moses was very eye for an eye, and even today, where it's kind of like, if you do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong twice, or I'll get I'll get my vengeance one day, or something like that. He's basically saying it only prolongs conflict and deepens and widens conflict. Like there is no redemption in retaliating or in getting vengeance on someone. The only redemption you can get is through forgiving and giving them an opportunity to work past it. It's incredibly difficult because there are some things that are very easy to forgive and there are other things that are extremely difficult to forgive. And to put to put everything in the same bucket and say we should just forgive, you know, that's easier said than done. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to harbor rancor. Um, the alternative is to have hate or even just ignore people, dismiss them as being, you know, present at all. And none of that is stuff that the Lord would do. None of that is stuff that Jesus did. And when he tells us your responsibility is to forgive, let vengeance be my my thing. I'll, I'll make sure that they get that they deserve, whatever that may be. That's not for you to decide. That's where I think this comes in. Like, your job is not to take upon yourself the responsibility of judgment. Let me handle that. Your job is to forgive. Well, I also, I always, ah, the parable of the laborers. I don't know why I love <laughs> that parable so much. But it's another example that you're laboring all day and then here comes this schmuck that was sitting in the shade all day enjoying his time. And now he comes to labor and your initial reaction is to say, I should get paid more. How come we're all getting paid the same? And I wonder how much heaven is going to be like that, where we're going to be there with individuals that may have wronged us. Mm. It was just not their time to learn or they took a different path or they came at the 11th hour and we won't have a place there with the master if we are not forgiving because it's not for us we like he tells us it's for us to forgive everyone which allows him to do his job you know to 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 guide people to mold their hearts because if because we can all be we we have all wronged people you know imagine if if our forgiveness like at that time when you wrong someone you lacked understanding or, or you lacked understanding of what you were doing. And imagine gaining that understanding, but never being able to move past that mistake. That would be hell within itself, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's kind of what we're meant to understand by what um, not not going to the celestial kingdom will be like. Where, yeah, you've been forgiven, and but you still have to recognize you didn't do everything necessary. And that kind of constant feeling of like, I didn't I didn't do enough. I should have done more like that will feel like punishment enough, you know, right. That doesn't necessarily have to be actual fire and brimstone. It, it will be within your own heart and mind of, gosh, I had opportunities I didn't take and I I should have done better at this. I knew better and I just didn't, you know. Yeah. Well, I think we we underestimate what a blessing progression is. Yeah. Progression in just day to day things, learning how to read, you know, you know, the objects we have around technology and the the opposite of progression is what the scriptures call being damned. Right. And when you, you know, a lot of our happiness is based on the fact that we start to learn good from evil. We start to gain more perspectives if and, and that's how we're designed. We are designed to eventually be like our fathers and our mothers in heaven right and if that's taken from us there can be no greater thing like in in most you know we know from the book of mormon that god his favorite people are whomever keeps his commandments there's a lot of conversations that Laman and lemuel have with nephi about hey but we're how come this and the canaanites and what if and then he has to tell them hey do you think you're more special than they when you don't keep the commandments, you know, and 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 that's kind of the whole thing at the end of this is our agency. What are we what are we willing to do at, or not do? You know, um, just an ending here. I just want to throw one thing out there. Is how good Pharaoh was to Joseph, hmm. you know, and what a friendship they must have had and trust, because in verse in chapter 45 or 16 and it says in the fame thereof was heard in pharaoh's house saying joseph's brethren are come and it pleased joseph well in his servants and pharaoh said unto joseph say to thy brethren this do ye laid your beasts and go and get unto the land of canaan and take your father and his household and come unto me and i will give you the good of the land of egypt and ye shall eat the fat of the land now, now thou art commanded and do this and take a wagon and bring everybody. Just bring the whole family. Bring them over here. I will give them a land. We'll give them a good land. They'll, they'll be here and prosper with us. Um, now, so I, I wish we could know what this famine was because the land of Canaan was a prosperous land and something happened where now there's a famine and apparently in Egypt and I don't know the fertile crescent or whatever now it's really fertile and they're they're having a good time and and prospering there and and he's kind of like go get all your family all your household the children the wives everything just bring them here which which is awesome but then that's where the story changes you know you know in the next we're going to talk about time has gone and now there's a pharaoh that did not know Joseph mm-hmm. or his people and now just like everything, there is a good opportunities for good men to do good things. And then there's also opportunities for people in power to do bad things and subjugate people. And and now we go into the people of Israel are being 
slaves to the Egyptians, right? And now the Lord is having to step in and say, we can't have this. We got to get the people out, right? Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's interesting to me because I, I think at the end of the story, I feel like the Egyptians and the Hebrews could have lived in harmony. And it, it feels like harmony. And I don't think Joseph would have done any of this if it was contrary to God's will. But just like the United Order, the, the commandments and the way it was prepared, but we or individuals failed to meet the standard or to do it correctly. And then it became an obstacle, a challenge, or in a way a curse. Right. And I think that's kind of, for me, I view this as a very similar scenario where you had this is an opportunity for now two people prosper together. And maybe it was a huge missionary opportunity to get the Egyptians to lay, get rid of all these gods, worship the true God, whatever it may be. But also at the end of the day, there's agency and what people do. And because I, 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 one of the things about the Old Testament that for me, I, I tend to see is that God is not a challenge, not, there isn't an Old Testament God of fire and brimstone <laughs> that purposely has a favorite people. We read in the Book of Mormon that his favorite people, he'll have anyone be his favorite people if they're willing to keep the commandments. Right. And now I feel like this has been a missionary opportunity also for the Egyptians to see through Joseph a different way. It's just I think they chose not the Lord's way, right? Become an engaged learner. Immerse yourself in the scriptures to understand better Christ's mission and ministry. Know the doctrine of Christ so that you understand its power for your life. Internalize the truth that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you. Every time you plug in your phone, use it as a reminder to ask yourself, if you have plugged into the most important source of spiritual power, prayer and scripture study, which will charge you with inspiration through the Holy Ghost, it will help you know the mind and will of the Lord to make the small but important daily choices that determine your direction. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.